Hello and welcome to the first episode of the London Football Podcast, a brand new weekly show uh, hosted by myself, Ben Green, George Knight, Charlie Willard and Rayan Chowdhury. Okay, on this first episode today, we've got expectations and reality. We've, uh, we've all picked our Premier League teams and we're going to discuss what we think they should have done at the start of the season and where they are now. We're also going to look at individual players this season from each of the London clubs that we think have done well, as well as the European expectations of certain Premier League clubs. And then we'll finish the show today with how we think the season's going to end with these clubs, as well as the championship teams that could be promoted. Yes, exactly, George. But the first section of this podcast that we're going to go into is, of course, the expectations versus the reality where they are now in the season. Um, starting with my team, um, of course, the mighty Gunners, Arsenal. Expectations going into this one. Uh, well, obviously, fans really, really love Mikel Arteta. Um, I'm one of those that absolutely loves him. Um, and coming into this season, we needed a, a big reaction um, after the FA Cup win and Community Shield. But, you know, Community Shield's not really as highly anticipated than the FA Cup. And, of course, winning the FA Cup and the manner of which we won that uh, competition by beating the likes of Man City and Chelsea in the final uh, gained us automatic promotion as well for the Europa League. We've not been in the Champions League for quite a while, which is not great, of course. But coming into this season, we needed to step up as a team. We signed a Bamiyang well, now that long-term contract that, that was, again, so highly anticipated. And the reality of that, and I guess you boys can jump in here, not really reached the expectations that we all hoped for, I think, for Aubameyang this season. No, he was a player at the start of the season that I thought would... I mean, I, I, I'll be the first one to admit, I said to all my mates, Aubameyang's now a midfielder in fantasy. I'd be getting him in definitely. He's going to score all the goals. But he's, he's not really been at it this year. I mean, he had a decent first game of the season against Fulham, got his goal. And you thought, you know what, maybe he's going to kick on. I mean, to the end of last season, we should say, he was absolutely phenomenal for Arsenal, scoring in almost every single game. But looking at him now, you're starting to look at the likes of Lacazette, Odegaard, Saka and Smith-Rowe as the players that Arsenal seem to be relying on at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I think Alexander Lacazette is one of those players that um, we've had for quite a while now. I believe this is his fifth season for us and 13 league goals, um, being our top scorer in the Premier League. I mean, it's fantastic because, again, where we are in the league now, being ninth, um, for him now stepping up the last few games especially, I think it's really important. But Aubameyang, is, people are saying it could be another Mesut Ozil situation where he's now signed that big contract and he could start dipping in form and then there might be some issues. I really hope like, hope not, of course. The expectations, again, I had for us was obviously get the top four, get in the top four, get it done. But obviously it's not quite worked out um, the way we hoped. But touch wood, we are still in the Europa League. We've got a massive, massive semi-final clash against Mr. Good Evening, um, Unai Emery, which again would be a massive, massive game for us to win and is another chance to get us obviously into that Champions League that I feel not only would save Mikel Arteta his job, but also would revive Arsenal, I think, because I think we might see a massive change despite how we do. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it from a perspective of other London clubs, if you look at Spurs, for example, put that in contrast to Arsenal's season, you know, they're out of the Europa League now, you know, in a season where we expected them to do pretty well. Under Jose Mourinho, you know, he's got a good track record in that competition. So, at the beginning of the season, we were thinking, you know what? They could actually go on to win this thing. They signed a few key players as well, such as the likes of Regulon and uh, Matt Doherty. So two key areas for them in that fullback in that fullback position, you know, after the loss of Carl Walker, Danny Rose isn't anywhere near where he was 
a few seasons prior. So we look at it from that perspective where key players have come into Tottenham. They spent a bit of money under a good manager who is expected to win trophies. But if you look at where they're at, sixth place on 53 points, it's nowhere near the sort of campaign we expected of Tottenham. So personally, I would say they've underperformed. Yes, there's been individuals who uh, have done well and you could say drag the club. But the big name is Gareth Bale. When he was announced to come back to Spurs, we all thought, right, it's going to be the old Gareth Bale, Gareth Bale from Real Madrid. Frankly, we haven't hit any of those realities whatsoever. Now that Mourinho's gone, in fairness, should he have gone? Should he have not gone? You know, they've got a cup final coming up shortly, which, you know, he got them to. And if there's one man who's perfect in the League Cup, it's Jose Mourinho. So for now, for him to go and be replaced with Ryan Mason, frankly, the youngest manager ever in the Premier League, you know, he didn't have the greatest of playing careers due to injury. And now he's been put into a top role at a so-called big six club. I mean, he's got a lot of expectation on his shoulders, whether it's just an interim thing or looking forward. But the players have got to step up at that club. You know, there's two key boys, Son and Kane, who seem to be doing all the legwork there. What do you think? Do you feel, Ryan, though, um, with Ryan Mason coming in, that it might be the fairy tale start, should I say, for Ryan Mason to win on Sunday against Manchester City? I mean, you could say it's all set up for him, but if you look at other English managers in the past who have had those sorts of big breaks, I mean, the biggest one, I would say, is Frank Lampard. You know, when he came in, he had that Super Cup against Liverpool, and everyone thought, you know, that's his chance to get a trophy, get his name out there. It didn't work, but Ryan Mason, in comparison to other managers, he's got a lot of work to do before he can actually establish himself, but the players need to turn up for him. What do you think, George? Ah... I think the Tottenham players certainly need to step up, I have to say. And I believe that given the defensive struggles they've had this season, I think they, they certainly need to do more and they need to defend better. Uh, moving on now to, should we say, the surprise package team of the season, a team in Claret and Blue, and it's the team in Claret and Blue from London, West Ham United. They have had, I mean, at the start of the season, we have to say they were probably one of the favourites to go down. You didn't really expect them to be doing much. You look at their players. I mean, they didn't really do well towards the end of last season, but they picked up a few key results against teams down at the bottom, which did drag them out of the relegation zone. And then obviously staying up quite late on in the season. But now you look at them, now they're a completely different outfit. You know, they play a new system now. Certain individuals have performed better than they ever have done in their careers. Um, signing Jesse Lingard on loan in January has proved to be a masterstroke, someone that can come in and revitalise his career, it seems, under David Moyes. But this West Ham team, there's something different about them. Will they got, get top four? We don't know, but they seem to not go away. And it's something really good about that, this West Ham team, should I say, because as much as I don't believe there's a lot of quality in that West Ham team, and maybe they don't have enough good players but as a team and as a unit they really are together and whenever you think they're not going to get that result they always seem to come up with it yeah I completely agree George and I think it's the first time in in the first time in West Ham's time at the London Stadium that the team has shown a sense of togetherness a sense that they actually want to play for the manager play for the badge Um, because what you've noticed in previous seasons that West Ham have signed some really talented players I think Felipe Anderson was one. He, he was really good a couple of seasons ago. But there were a team of individuals who, if the going got tough, 
they didn't get going. Uh, and they, they, you know, we've seen West Ham struggling at the bottom of the table where realistically they shouldn't have been. Um, this season they've overachieved. And I think that's partly down to the fact that they finally got, they seem to finally grasp the, the uh, concepts of team spirit. David Moyes seems to have managed to instill this belief in them that they can go to anywhere and get a result, grind out a 1-0 win if they have to. They can play good football. You know, we've seen them play pretty defensive at times against Man United away. They, they, you know, they played 11 men behind the ball for the whole game. But there's also times where West Ham can completely outplay a team. And I think having the balance of being able to play defensive and really attacking is also what's helped them. And if we look forward, Crystal Palace and Fulham, two teams that have had... At the start of the season, if you told me, if you'd asked me where would Fulham have finished... I would have told you in the bottom three spaces. And that was because I wasn't really impressed with them last season. I didn't really feel like they, you know, they, they may have deserved promotion, but they didn't set the world alight compared, if you know, compared to Leeds. Um, I, I thought they were going to struggle. I'm disappointed in Mitrovic. He scored 26 goals last season, was a championship's top scorer. And you thought coming into this season, he's going to be crucial to their plans to survive. And he's, he's never really got going. They signed Josh Madger and he's he's done okay. Um but to be honest, if you're a Fulham fan, I think you can be proud of how the players have, you know, put up a fight. You know, they're not going down without a fight. Um, will they have the quality to stay up? Maybe not. But I'd, I'd fully back Fulham next season under Scott Parker to have a, another successful season in the Championship. And do you still feel Scott Parker will still be the manager of Fulham, Ben, going into um, the next few seasons? Yeah, I mean, if, if the Fulham board have got any sense, they will keep Scott Parker as their manager because, for me, he's done a lot of things right this season. Um, I think if you look at that Fulham team, where would they expect to finish at the start of the season? In the bottom three. Now, that yeah, they currently are in the bottom three, but they are putting up a fight. If Fulham were going down, having got 12 points and, and been relegated at Christmas, then maybe you'd be looking at, you know, getting someone else in. But I think the way Fulham have put up a fight, especially since the turn of the year, there's promise for them next season. They can go, they can be relegated and not be relegated with a team of individuals who are going to be sold. I think this is a team they can keep together and really build on. Um, and if, like we said, if you look at the other teams in the bottom bottom three, I'd fully back Fulham to have a really successful season next year in the Championship. So if we look ahead to uh, Crystal Palace now, um, once again, I feel it's another season where if you looked at the start of the season, where would Palace be? probably where they are. Um, they've had some really bright moments. I think the likes of Eze, who we're going to touch on later, has been um, really positive for them. Roy Hodgson has really, I think, done a good job at Palace since he's come in. Um, he's steadied the ship and, you know, do they have the biggest budget in the league? No. Do they have the most talented squad? No. But they have a belief in togetherness and on their day, they do have some talent in that team to get a result. So for me, if you were asking me if I was a Palace fan, would I be happy? I wouldn't be ecstatic, but I'd be content with how my team's done this season. You said there, Ben, I feel like Crystal Palace is one of those teams, you say maybe they haven't got the biggest budget in the league, but they've certainly, for me, got quite a lot of talent. You talk about the likes of Eze, who we'll touch on later. You've got Wilfred Zaha, Jordan Ayew had a very good season last year. Do you feel Roy Hodgson now, though, has taken this squad just about as far as he can? Yeah, I've seen some, some Palace fans in the forums saying this, and, you know, you have to ask the question. Roy Hodgson has, has done a good job there. But realistically, is he ever going to be able to take them up up the league by four or five places? I'm not so sure. And like you said, they've got a lot of young players. Do they need a forward-thinking manager 
to allow these players to express themselves because you know the likes of us they haven't they've gone games where they haven't played they haven't started they've come off with 10 minutes to go and you know you almost want to have a manager there that's going to give them free reigns to do what they want to do on that pitch and get the most out of that talent that they, they clearly do have i agree with you 100 percent there ben and everything that you say and lastly on this subject now we'll touch on the final london team in the premier league that being chelsea football club so chelsea start the season um i didn't really expect much from them but I mean, signing some big name players, Timo Werner for fifty million pound, and then getting Kai Havertz as well for some a fee that will rise to nearly a hundred million pound. Chelsea started the season. I thought, you know what, Frank Lampard here now. He's had that season with those players, and now he's gonna he knows what he needs, and he's gonna bring a few more players in. I, I really thought Chelsea could be a threat this season. Unfortunately for Frank, it just didn't seem to work out for him. Um, a tricky December, we should say, and then he loses his job. I mean, I think a lot of Chelsea fans didn't want him to go, but they thought maybe for the best of their football club, he should have done. The only thing that I think disappoints me there with Frank is more, he probably will never get that chance again now. And it probably didn't end on good terms, but bringing in a new manager, Thomas Tuchel, is he the right man for the job? We don't know. Um, Hasn't really been given enough time yet, but he seems to get that defence sorted out. And Chelsea now, maybe they're not the most exciting team in the Premier League to watch, but they seem to be grinding out results and they certainly have got a better defence under him. Let's not forget, they got a lot of big players in that squad now. I think Thiago Silva coming in is a rock at the back that they haven't had since the likes of John Terry or so were at the club. There's a mixture of youth and big-name prospects within that team. You look at the likes of Reese James uh, on one side. Then you've got Ben Chilwell on the other side, who's uh, given his chance. But Charlie, what do you think on this? For me, I think Chelsea as a team uh, are always that club that will always be round about the top four. Obviously, they're regarded as a big six side. And um, I think, to be honest with you, um, they deserve that Champions League winners, Premier League winners, FA Cup, League Cups. Um, they've won it all. However, um, for me, in terms of their squad, we were talking about the players that they've signed. For me, the, the struggle that I have with Chelsea at the moment is their strikers. They've got very, very talented strikers in their club. The likes of, obviously, your Timo Werner, who supposedly is supposed to be their star striker, but the amount they paid for him, I believe it was about 37, 40 million. Um, and he's coming from the Bundesliga. Bundesliga is completely different to the Premier League. For me now, the Bundesliga is a very hard league and a very good league because the likes of Jude Bellingham going over to Germany now, smashing it out there, Jadon Sancho smashing it out there, it's proven to be that league to prove yourself, really. But the Premier League is a completely different ball game. And like touching what I said about the strikers, you've got Werner, Giroud, Abraham. Tammy Abraham smashed it, absolutely smashed it at Villa. Got them up, pretty much. Got them up. Obviously, he was on loan, had to go back to Chelsea. Um, and Tammy Abraham had a good start to the season. Um, and Olivier Giroud is one of them players that can always score you goals. Also touch on what George mentioned with Frank. I think 20 years ago, Frank Lampard would still be the Chelsea manager right now. They had a solid season last season. They were going through a rough patch this season. Who's to say they couldn't have come out of that, you know, and gone into next season with a bit of momentum? Um, the problem that they've got at Chelsea is, you know, they need success straight away. They demand success and there's no time for growth. And I think that's what happened there is, you know, Thomas Tuchel may win Chelsea a trophy, but he may be gone in a year and a half time where I felt as Frank Lampard could was finally for Chelsea, the opportunity they had to have a long-term manager, whether they don't win a trophy for a couple of seasons, 
was irrelevant to me. It was more about the fact that they finally had a manager who was playing young players, bringing them through. There was a Chelsea legend. Uh, and I, I personally, I felt a bit a bit sorry for Frank because I feel he could have got them out of that, that sticky patch they were in. They had a, a tough uh, patch at the start of the season. They got through it and then suddenly everyone was saying they're going to be title winners. Then they fell into another tricky patch. Who's to say they couldn't go out of it? So, yeah, it's um, definitely an interesting one there. And before we obviously move on, like you just said there, Ben, they never really slipped out, though, of that sort of top four, top sort of like six, seven, eight brackets. So they were always going to be around the European places anyway. And like you touched there as well, like Frank Lampard, he was building something at Chelsea. You look at Maurizio Pochettino at Tottenham, he got them from a club that were seventh, eighth in the Premier League, maybe just scraping into the Europa League. He got them into a top four team and then got them to a Champions League final. He built something with that club. And then you look at Frank Lampard, with those young players, he brings them in, he embeds them in, he got European football with them. I mean, you have to say, maybe he should have been given more time. Right, lads. So now moving on to our individual players. I know we've all picked out one player that we think has been a standout player or an individual who we want to highlight, who's done well this season. So for me, personally, I've got to go with Harry Kane. You look at how many goals he's scored in the league this season, 21 goals, and then you look at his assists, 13 playing in a much deeper role than what he was playing previously. He's added so much more to his game. I mean, for years we've been saying Harry Kane's a great striker, a good striker, but now he's reaching new levels that he's never been to before. Undoubtedly, you're looking at, if you're looking in Europe, obviously the out-and-out strikers, you've got the Lewandowskis, you've got the Haaland's, but Kane is up there in the top three, simply because of what he brings to any team. He brings goals. For England, he brings gold. For Spurs, he brings gold. Yes, people say his style of play isn't great. It's not nice to look at. But ultimately, he gets you gold. And that's what wins you games. I think at Spurs, he has been let down because defensively, they're not where they need to be. They chip too many at the other end. But if you look at Kane's game itself, he will come in and chip out defensively. You know, he's back there when they're defending corners, when they're defending set pieces. And he'll come back there to attack and start goals and create for other players as well, as the stats prove. But, you know, George, what do you think about this sort of point? I mean, I was more going to say to you, Ryan, how much do you think Son this season has helped Kane in his game? I mean, you've looked at the goal and assist combination. I think it was Lampard and Drogba that had the record for a Premier League season. I mean, Kane and Son, they're on course to break that, I think, this season. I mean, them two have been phenomenal, really. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Son, I mean, 15 goals nine assists in the league, you know, the stats don't lie. Clearly, the partnership between them has been strong. I think Son, with his pace, you know, it allows Kane to sit back a bit and then create, come forward and score goals. Charlie? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to add that I think, obviously, I'm an Arsenal fan and it hurts me to say this, but Harry Kane, for me, has adopted uh, how a striker really should play over the last two seasons, especially this season. I think... If you're, if you're playing up front, when I was younger, um, I used to, you, your strikers always sit on the last line, wait for that ball in the box or make them runs behind the defence. But for me, Harry Kane this season has changed that. And I, you can see from some of the other strikers in the Premier League and the Championship how they've adopted that. Um, and I think Ollie Watkins is one to mention as well for his hold-up play. Harry Kane's hold-up play is fantastic. He'll come and get the ball deep sometimes, set up his teammates and he can still score those goals. So I think that has to be mentioned because I think he's all-round game has improved this season. And despite his age, 
he's proven that. I think if we move on now to my play that I've chosen, again, sticking to my boys' Arsenal, um, I've gone for, obviously, Bukayo Saka, which I think we can all agree with. Um, he's one of the best young players uh, of this year. I still believe Phil Foden is the number one because um, I know he had a lot of criti uh, criticism. I know we are doing London-based clubs today, lads, but Phil Foden has had a lot of criticism um, about, obviously, he plays with the likes of De Bruyne and your Gundogan's and your Aguero's, but he's proven that he can really carry that team at times. He did that at Dortmund um, and he did it on the weekend as well. Um, or he did it again yesterday against uh, Aston Villa. But Bakar Saka, I think in terms of his stats, lads, he's had 27 appearances in the Premier League, only five goals and two assists. But if, you, if, there, wasn't a, if there was a stat to see pass to assist, I think he'd be up there. He creates a lot of our play. Every time he's in, in or on that pitch, he makes an impact. In the games that we've lost, he's been our best player. I just think all round, Bakaro Saka has been an incredible asset to our team. And you have to you have to actually give props to Unai Emery because he was the one who actually brought them in, first of all. And Mikel Arteta has adopted that. Uh, Ram? So we know, obviously, he's a versatile player and he can play a number of positions. But where do you, Charlie, see is his best position for both club and country? Um, for country, I'm a bit annoyed. I'm not a big fan of international football as a whole, um, just me personally. But I think for, for Bakayo Saka personally, um, he's an attacking player. Um, he's proven that he's been so good elsewhere on the pitch, like at your left backs. And he can play on the wing. He, can, he, he played number 10 against Fulham despite the result. Um, he's been fantastic. Um, but for me, Ryan, I still believe he's a, um, he's a winger, out-and-out -out winger. OK, so touching on my player that I've earmarked, um, similar to Saka, a young talent, but I think someone who is really going to shine in seasons to come, and that's Everechieze, signed for Crystal Palace at the start of the season, uh, previously at QPR, uh, was on loan at Wickham before that. Uh, and everywhere he's been, he has impressed me. Uh, at every level of English football, he has stood out. And I felt coming into the Premier League, can he play the same way that he does in the that he did in the championship? And that was run around, you know, get past players with ease and essentially do what he wants. And that, you know, we've seen that. There was a brilliant goal he scored where he ran past three or four players uh, against Sheffield United and curled it into the bottom corner. And I think you've seen real glimpses of his hidden talent. I think, like what we touched on earlier with Palace, it may need a new manager, a younger manager with more forward-thinking ideas to get the best out of him. But I really think that he is a player to watch. Just because he's at Palace, it doesn't mean anything. He's just as talented as the players that we've listed. And I really feel in the season to come, he's, he's going to be a massive player for them. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Ben, on that one there. You know, I think having the likes of Zaha around him allows him to flourish, allows him to learn. You know, Crystal Palace have one of the oldest Premier League squad if you look at aged players. So if you're looking at experience, he's at the best club for that. I mean, the, the players that he's got around him will support him and uh, give him the tools that he needs. George, what player have you chosen, mate? So I've gone for someone away from the young side of things, you would say. And I've gone for the 28-year-old midfielder, Jesse Lingard. So starting off the season at Manchester United, I mean, he had quite a decent World Cup a couple of years back. But looking at him now, he's, he's never really had a look in that Man United team. And since signing for West Ham, you have to say he's never really looked back. I mean, nine goals and three assists in 10 matches. 
that is some feat for someone going into a team. Okay, yeah, so that West Ham team was thriving. It was doing extremely well, but he's come in and that midfield of Mark Noble and Declan Rice, they've now got someone in there with them that really does have that driving force. And he looks like a player as well now, though, that's really enjoying his football. And it pains me to say it as an Aston Villa fan, but I think Jesse Lingard could be doing a job for a lot of clubs in the Premier League around that sort of sixth to mid-table mark. Do you feel, though, because my opinion about Jesse Lingard is, like I said, he's 28. He seems a lot younger than what he is, I think, Jesse Lingard, and the way he acts as well. I think he's a fantastic character to have in the dressing room. Um, I think, yeah, I think he's one of them players that can cause trouble on the pitch as well. But do you feel that he's really going to have that impact if he does? And also my other question is, do you feel that West Ham will try and keep him or do you think he's going to have a future at Manchester United? And how well do you think he'll do now for the rest uh, for the rest of this season and the seasons to come? Well, starting off with the last question that you asked, I think for the rest of this season, I think he's got he, he's got a lot more left in him. And I think he'll probably be named in the England squad to go to the Euros. I think he's been nothing but phenomenal. I think if you ask Jesse Lingard himself, I actually think he'd probably rather stay at Manchester United. I believe he's a Manchester United fan. But I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer likes him too much. Like we say, he didn't. He has not played this season in the Premier League for Man United, not even a minute coming off the bench. So it's going to be quite an interesting one for him. And in terms of a summer move, I think he will be looking to move away. And it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what sort of clubs come in for him. Because if I think West Ham will get European football now this season, so they will be in the Europa League. But you look at the sort of clubs that might be after him. I mean, just to name a few, maybe, maybe Arsenal might want a player like that. Maybe a... I don't know, maybe a Leicester City. Leicester City probably playing in the Champions League next season. Another player to add to their firepower that they've already got. So it'd be interesting for him because I think West Ham won't be just the only club in for him. And I think there'll be a few bigger clubs as such, Premier League-wise, that will be after him. Okay, and moving on to the final subject that we have got for today's podcast is how we think the season will end. So we'll be focusing on the teams near the bottom as well as the teams near the top and also finishing off with the teams that we think will come up from the championship that are London-based. So I'm going to start off with a quick one on Chelsea and West Ham. They've obviously got a crunch fixture this weekend against one another. Um, If you want my prediction... I think Chelsea might just sneak top four personally. I think they've got a nicer run in than West Ham. And I also think, like we've spoken a bit earlier, West Ham have got that potential to have a few silly results like we've seen against Newcastle. So, interesting one for me. But I think Chelsea might just sneak top four and it will be West Ham that will be resigned to play in the Europa League next season. I agree. I think West Ham have put up a really good fight this season. But ultimately it's going to be really hard to sustain that performance level. Like we saw that silly result against Newcastle. And I think they'll probably get one or two more of those results at the end of the season, which will ultimately put, probably leave them in fifth or sixth. If I was West Ham, I'd be really happy with Europa League space. They shouldn't, if they end up being fifth, they shouldn't be disappointed or upset. You know, I think that's a, still a very good achievement for them. I think Chelsea are just going to show the extra quality in the last few games that you need at this level to string a result, you know, of four or five wins in a row together. And I think Chelsea are going to be the team to do that. Like you said there, Ben, I think you see that Chelsea team, they know, they've know they got more know-how going into these last few games of the season. And you feel that they've got the experience of getting into the top four before some of these players. And you think they might just be able to hold their heads more, whereas West Ham probably, you know, they're a younger team. You think just maybe they're going to slip away a little bit. Yeah, so you mentioned that know-how there, George. And I think if we look at another one of the London clubs, Fulham, they're up against the likes of Burnley, 
Brighton, Newcastle for that for that uh, survival. And I think that ultimately the experience and know-how at this level will prove too much for Fulham. I think they've put up a really good effort this season, especially since the turn of the year. Um, out of any of the bottom three, they've looked the most likely to get out of the situation. But ultimately, you know, you're coming up against a Burnley side who have done this. They've been there and done that over the last three or four years. And I think it would just be that step too far. If, if there were one or two points off, I could see it. But five points off, they're going to have to win two or three in a row. And I'm not sure that Fulham can do that. They can maybe win three or four games, but they've got to do it consecutively. And I, I just don't think they're capable of doing that to get out of the situation they're currently in. So sadly for Fulham fans, I think they will, will be going down. But like we said earlier, they should be very positive about going into next season. Yeah, 100%. I think, to be honest with you, touching on what George said about um, West Ham, for example, I think with them, they're the sort of team that, especially in the last few games or something, I don't know if you've seen the results like exactly for West Ham, three of their games, they nearly lost a 3-0 lead. So are we talking that David Moyes is pushing them to get that fitness level up and to get that performance level up? But are they really grinding out results the way they need to be? For example, if they are going to get this Champions League, we talk about those Europe expectations. If they are going to get Champions League, they need to be a team that can finish a game strong because we've seen in the Champions League over the last, I'd say, three to four seasons that, until that whistle blows, you don't know who's going through. Straight up. You, you don't know. You, you could be three, four nil up in a tie. And until the, that final whistle goes in that second leg, for example, it's all about grinding out results. And you also mentioned as well Burnley. Burnley are a team that have been in the Premier League for so, so long now, but also a team that have grinded out results against those big teams. Win against us, a win, a win against Liverpool as well, and Manchester United. I think they're a team that can stop Fulham from going up. And I can see them going down as well. Um, Ren? Yeah, you mentioned there, Charlie, about playing to the full-time whistle and that the game's never over until then. And I think the biggest example or lack of when we needed that to happen and the players didn't turn up was Tottenham this season. You know, in the Europa League, they had one of the best chances of uh, winning the title. All they had to do was score a goal, score that away goal. But to concede three goals in the second leg. But yes, away from home, but a team of Tottenham's calibre under Jose Mourinho should have done better. And now if we're looking ahead to their final few games of the season, they got the likes of Sheffield United, uh, Leeds, and the end of season at Leicester. If they had Jose Mourinho, I would have said yes, where they are now sitting sixth, but, you know, on 53 points, quite close to West Ham and, and Liverpool and Chelsea, they could have made that push for the Champions League in the final push. But now with Jose gone under Ryan Mason, does he have the expertise, that know-how that we talk about to see this team into the Champions League? Personally, I don't think they do. I do think they're going to get European football, but it will be another season of Europa League. Their highlight has got to be that cup final on Sunday, getting that just to add a bit of glimmer to their season. But even their chances look slim on that. George? Yeah, I think like what you said there, Ryan, I think Tottenham this season, they were in a decent enough position early on with Jose Mourinho, but I think it just started to slip away just a little bit from them. I just want to touch on what you said there, Ryan. I think Spurs' season now is the League Cup final. If I was a Spurs fan, that's all I'd be worried about. You know, if Spurs don't get European football next year, to be honest, I don't think it'd be a bad thing. Um, I think they could have a year of rebuilding uh, and 
really sorting that defence out that, that does need a lot of work. For me, it's all come. It's all coming down to this weekend. The Spurs win the League Cup. The season has been a success. I believe, and again, I'm an Arsenal fan. Don't want Tottenham to win. Um, but I don't know if you lads agree with me that a trophy is a trophy at the end of the day. And I think, with, especially with the League Cup being so, um, what's the word? It's it's not it's not really a trophy that's it's so highly rated um, in all of the competitions that the, the teams play for. Um, almost known as the Mickey Mouse trophy to some people, the, the Carabao Cup. But if Tottenham win it, it is a trophy at the end of the day. It's a sil- it's silverware that they've gone into the season wanting something. Do you feel, though, obviously, Ran, you've covered Tottenham a lot to, uh, on this podcast today. Do you feel winning that but not getting the Champions League is a good season? Or do you think losing the Carabao Cup and getting Champions League is a good season? What do you think? Ultimately, Tottenham want trophies. That's the reason why they got Mourinho in, was to get silverware. So if you're comparing it Champions League or League Cup, I've got to go League Cup. You know, trophy, the trophy cabinet at Tottenham has been empty for years, well over a decade. They need to add something to that. Who's going to remember that they qualified for the Champions League and what, get knocked out at the uh, knockout stages or fail to get out of the group? Now, if we're looking away from the Champions League, looking at the championship, who do we think is going to come up? Tell you what, that's a... Uh... That's a good good tee into what I was going to say. Just about to say about Brentford, uh, a team that I actually follow quite well. Um, someone that I knew used to play for him, used to be the captain until he moved to Birmingham, and I followed them for quite a while. But also, they're a team that actually show a lot of promise every season. Um, they, they seem to be the bottle jobs of the playoffs, though. Uh, I think they've taken that crown from Derby, um, who are now absolutely slumped at near the bottom of the championship. And again, I think we can all agree on that. Derby used to get playoffs every season and just lose in the semi-final or the final every season. Um, but Brentford seem to be doing that. But they seem to be getting there every season now. Um, I think they're a team that, as, as I said, they show a lot of promise. They had the likes of um, Malpay, who then went to Brighton after Brentford didn't go up. You've then got your Ollie Watkins, who smashed it in, in the championship. But then obviously they didn't go up, so he went to Aston Villa. Ben Rama went to West Ham. But they're a team. They're a team also who, if they don't go up this season, you're going to have to start asking questions to how they do go up. But I really do hope they do in the playoffs. I think, like you've mentioned there, Chaz, actually, something that you really do need to admire Brentford for is every single season they've been in the Championship and they've ended up bottling it. A lot of their players have moved on, the likes of Ollie Watkins, you say, going to Aston Villa, Ben Rama going to West Ham, and even seasons before, Malpay going to Brighton. So they always seem to lose their best players, but then they always seem to be around the playoffs the following season. So you've got to admire Brentford for what they're doing at the moment, because even though they're losing these players, they're still managing to maintain a specific style of play that's keeping them towards that top end of the championship. Yeah, I completely agree, George. And what I would say is someone who, you know, I'm a Wickham fan, so I've seen Brentford play a couple of times this season. For me, Brentford have, have been the most impressive team I've seen in the championship this year. Norwich may have claimed top spot for now, but Brentford, for me, have got the most talent in, in, in the championship. If you compare them to previous seasons, no. Do they have the star power like they had last year with the front three of Watkins, Benrahma and Embuemo? No. But they've still got Ivan Tony, who I've been really impressed with how he's come up from League One and done exactly the same as he did with Peterborough. He's a real talent. And I think keeping hold of him is crucial. If Brentford, you know, How many times can Brentford not get promoted 
lose their star player and find another one for cheap. There's only so many times you can do that and get away with it. And I think a lot of Brentford's plans are hanging on the fact they do get promoted this season. Because if they don't and they lose people like Tony, I do worry that they're not going to be able to find those rough diamonds again. Yeah, no, exactly. A hundred percent. I think, like you said, you mentioned Ivan Tony. He's a player that's had 29 goals in 41 appearances in the championship. That also had 10 assists as well um, to his name. He's a man that, like you said, he smashed it in League One, came up to the championship. You said he'd done exactly the same and he has. But for me, if they get promoted, they have to keep Ivan Tony because he's a player that I can see going to the likes of your, your Everton's or your, your teams that are kind of just maybe below that Europa League that can help uh, help that team push up? For me, Brentford have to get promoted. There is no excuse not to. They should have been challenging for the title realistically. Yes, Norwich have done well, but the automatic spots should have been what they were targeting. They had a couple of games where it's been hit and miss that they should have done better in. But ultimately, that team is set for the Premier League. He looks at when they played Newcastle or a few uh, earlier in the season in the cup run. They knocked out a lot of Premier League teams to get to where they where they were. And they proved that they're ready for that league. You look at it, they add entertainment. They add goals. They've got a good manager, a good fan base, which ultimately deserve the Premier League and have the chance and deserve the right to be playing up in the biggest league in the world. So for me, they have to get promoted this year. It will most likely be via the playoffs, but they have to go up. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think what Thomas Frank has done um, at Brentford the last two seasons, um, I think it's fantastic. Um, like I said, it's, it's all about keeping their players if they do get promoted, because I think that will be quite funny to see um, if they don't get promoted but lose their players, but then get promoted and then still lose their players. You need to start looking at how they how they would do. Also, something to mention as well, lads, is the fact that they do have that new stadium um, that new stadium to go into the Premier League that's nice and shiny, new. Um, they've got that, they've got that football, that football knowledge and that manager that can really drive them to do well in uh, in the Premier League. But I think also we need to look at the return of Watford that could be coming back to the Premier League or should be coming back to the Premier League. Yeah, and talking of Watford, I think you know the bounce back ability of the. Uh championship of those teams that come back up straight away Watford you have to credit them for what they do they've got goals in the team you know the likes of Saar with 12 Jar Pedro with nine you know when Saar was in the Premier League there was a lot of talk that he'd uh, leave Watford and go off to likes of a Man United or a Liverpool but he stayed in the championship and he deserves the right to be playing in the Premier League again I do think that, you know, with Troy Deeney, yes, he's an experienced bit of a veteran player, but that's the sort of mentality that they need in the Premier League. My question, the thing that I think about is, will they keep their manager? Watford have a habit of chopping and changing their manager all the time. Will Munoz stay there? Will they keep him? I don't know. I think once they're back in the big league, they're going to make some changes. But Ben, I'll ask you, what do you think of this? Yeah, I think Watford have... Realistically, at the start of the season, the expectation was to get back up, probably automatically. Uh, and when I saw Watford play at the start of the season, I wasn't impressed at all. Um, I know they came to, to Wickham and Wickham were struggling at the time. They'd lost seven in a row. 
and they got a point. And Watford just looked for me a team bereft of confidence, bereft of ideas, and real belief that they could get out of the division. But since um, Cisco Munoz has come in, they've tallied up 51 points, which is the most out of any other team in the championship. And for me, that's been the big difference. They've had a change in style. They've finally started to use the players they've got and the talent they clearly do have. Um, and for me, I'd back them to get that second spot. It's not going to be easy. Um, it's never easy in the championship. But with the current manager they have and the confidence they have in the squad, like you said, Rand, will the manager stay? Who knows? But with Watford, that's always the case. I think you can't really worry about that. The managers come and go every year. The case of Watford is kind of keep the players. They keep the players because they do have some talented players. They may have a chance next season. I like what you said, that they've signed some real quality for the championship. Such They've managed to keep us hold as well of a few players that you maybe would have thought would have gone to Premier League clubs, should we say. But it seems to me, I worried for Watford quite a bit. I thought they'd be, like you say, a club that we're expecting to bounce straight back up. But with the injury habits of Troy Deeney, I thought, you know what, they might lack goals. But goals have seemed to not been a problem for them and they seem to score quite a few as well. And I think that really now, towards this latter stage of the season, I think you'd say they're, they're pretty much bankers to secure that second spot. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this first episode of the London Football Podcast. George, what is coming up next week? Yeah, so Ben, next week on the next episode, we'll be talking about the new European Super League and how those plans came and fell apart very quickly. We'll also be discussing the new Champions League format that's going to be brought into place soon. We'll be seeing teams finishing outside of the top four still qualify for the competition based off previous merit. Wow, exactly, George. That sounds like a very, very interesting topic next week. It's been one hell of a week in football. But yes, thank you for myself. It's been an absolute pleasure to join the podcast again. Ran? No, thank you, Charlie, Ben and George for joining us on this week's episode of London Football Podcast.